Well, well you know, you, you don't have to be uh, a designer uh, to, to be involved in, in circular design. I think if we if we have this expanded view of, of design, that, that everything around us is designed, then we it follows that, that we kind of have to have an expanded view of who is a designer too, or who designs. Welcome to the Circular Economy podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. You are listening to the Circular Economy Show podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, where we develop and promote the idea of a circular economy, engage key actors in the system, and mobilize system solutions at scale. My name is Laura Franco. I am part of the team here at the foundation, and I will be your host for this episode. Thank you for tuning in wherever you are in the world right now. The topic today is design. Everything around us has been designed. You just heard that from one of our speakers today, Joe Isles, the circular design lead at the foundation. But where do you start? Is it okay if a product or a material is only circular-ish? What do these innovations look like in practice? We will be looking at exciting examples with two guests today. Katie Trigedin, the author of the book Wasted, When Trust Becomes Treasure, and Leikun Tan, the founder of Nature Square. As a reminder, this podcast is based on a recent conversation we had as part of our Circular Economy Show program. You can find all about it and their activities on the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website. We will also leave you the link in the bio of this podcast. Finally, I am also joined today by our learning program's lead, Seb Egerton-Reed, who will be helping us reflect on some of the key insights. Thank you, Seb, for being here once again with us. Great introduction, Lara, and what a great lineup. Thanks for having me. So let's get started by understanding why design is paramount in a circular economy. Design is crucial for the circular economy because everything around us is designed. Um, some of those things, it's really obvious, uh, things like designer clothing or gadgets or um, mobile phones and things like that that are we, we hold up as kind of iconic designs, but, but also transport systems and, and the food we eat and the, the, the buildings we live in, they're all designed too. Um, and, and so circular design really uh, is an important part of the transition to a circular economy because it says, let's take a different approach at that design stage. Let's build in those three principles of a circular economy. Let's think systemically and, and, and nudge us towards uh, a more circular economy rather than today's linear one. Well, Joe just mentioned the importance of building in the three principles of a circular economy. Seb, can you tell our audience what these three principles are? The three principles of a circular economy eliminate waste and pollution, understanding that waste and pollution are not accidents, but the consequences of decisions made in the design phase. Keep products and materials in use. What if we designed an economy where we used things rather than used them up? and regenerate natural systems. Let's not focus on trying to do just less harm, but actually try to actively improve our environment and regenerate natural systems. All of these, of course, underpinned by design. So some people might think that maybe they need to be pure designers, maybe they need to have design in their titles to be able to design for a circular economy. But I think our guest disagreed, Seb. Let's hear what Joe had to say about this. Well, you know, you don't have to be uh, a designer uh, to, to be involved in, in circular design. I think if we, if we have this expanded view of, of design, that, that everything around us is designed, then we, it follows that, that we kind of have to have an expanded view of who is a designer too, or who designs. And we did a piece of research a, a few years ago, 
off the back of a, a kind of a hunch, really, of saying there's so much stuff around us. All those things I mentioned a few a few minutes ago, and, and innumerable, innumerable more products and services and systems. There must be a vast number of people who influence how those things work. And yes, some of them are designers, and designers often have the the methods, the tools, the mindsets that are really useful in in navigating um, messy circular economy innovation. Um, but it's many more than that too. It's architects, material scientists. Even if you think about people like uh, in in advertising, who who influence the, the the types of services that we choose or the way that we interact with the world around us, then those people who influence whether the, the economy is more linear or more circular as well. So you don't need to be a designer to be involved in circular design. But how can we design for a circular economy? Are there different steps along the way? Let's see how Joe Isles describes this process. I've become a bit obsessed with this idea of circular-ish. And yeah, I should say, it started out as kind of a fun or colloquial way to describe circular design efforts. Because the good news is that the circular economy idea uh, is, is really mobilized now. More and more people are talking about it. And thousands of, of designers and creative people, innovators from either by themselves or in small or large companies, they're all trying stuff out, which is, which is amazing. But, but not all circular design efforts are equal. And I think actually we, we sell the concept a bit short if we think that they are. And some efforts are under the banner of a circular economy. They're well-intentioned, but they might just be a bit more kind of uh, an efficiency on today's linear model. Some innovation, let's face it, is kind of in the wrong direction. It may be um, products where you, materials are, are completely mixed up and are inseparable, um, even though they might contain uh, recycled material, for example. Um, we need to ask ourselves whether that's the right sort of innovation for a circular economy. Obviously, um, we're at the stage now where people, more, more organizations or some organizations are, are seeing circular economy as a, a savvy marketing label. But, and, and thankfully, more and more uh, innovators are trying things out. It's in the right direction, but they're not going to create a circular economy overnight. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's work in progress. And I think that's the point behind circular-ish, that um, no one can create an economy, a circular economy, from a, alone from their garage or from, a, from an R&D lab. So it, it's a creative process. Um, and with, like with any innovation, um, any... Um, step forward is also probably going to come with a number of other questions, the bits that the, the designer is really proud of, the things that they'd like to do differently next time, the things that were really difficult, um, or, or, or what else would have to change in the system to make their, their job uh, a bit easier. It's about encouragement, about saying, you've started on this creative journey. Um, keep going because there is a bigger idea here. Maybe you did start out looking at materials or making a durable product or, or renting something but you can always go further and 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 push the 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 ambition of 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 your your circular economy innovation. Seb, what do you think about this concept of circular ish? Does it resonate with you in any way? I love the idea of circular ish, Lara, and it really resonates with our experience of talking about the circular economy. In my role at the foundation, I spend a lot of time explaining to people what the circular economy is and trying to use examples to illustrate that. And very often the critique that comes back is, well, what about this and what about that? Which is fantastic feedback to receive. But we're focused on what's the intent of this? What are we learning about it? 
And what does it tell us about what we should do next? So it's also about the intention that these examples and these products have, right? A great example would be when we critique a reuse model, for instance. Many people would say, well, what about all the transportation that's going on to facilitate that reuse? The point is that well, there's a couple of things there. One is appreciating the amount of emissions uh, that are created in the production of that original product and doing that calculation. We found about uh, 45% of emissions come from the way we produce and make our products. Um, the other piece of that is understanding, well, okay, we'd have all the answers and all the ramifications of these new models, but the intent to keep things in use, to design an economy that keeps things in use rather than using them up is still really important. So there are many different elements that you need to take into account when designing for a circular economy. And I think in the in this podcast, we're going to be coming to back to some of these ones. Um, but also in our last show, we spoke to Leigh Kuntan um, and about her work. She's the founder of the design brand Nature Squared. And she found through their projects that we need to really change the understanding of the value of our local materials. Let's see what she had to say. Well, I founded Nature Square 20 years ago, and we did it then extremely unfashionably by wanting to focus on the bigger sustainability picture. So um, when we looked at the developing economies in which we wanted to make a difference, uh, what we found were craft skills. Um, and we found a souvenir making ability. And of course, they used indigenous materials, uh, but they weren't valued. And, and for us, that was a real issue because, uh, you know, it was it was about uh, the people, uh, clearly about giving them a platform for, for developing their livelihoods, but also for revaluing the material that was around them. Because there is this perception that what comes from abroad from the rich world is, is valuable. And in the rich world, uh, you know, that the, uh, common things are less valuable than rarity. And, and that was the paradigm we really wanted to break. Leigh Kuhn also shared with us an example of her work that might change the way you see eggshells. We are very proud, for example, of the work we do with eggshells. Eggshell, the most ubiquitous material, you know, we are all so used to having our breakfast eggs, chucking away the shells. Um, and of course, eggshell inlay, very laborious, you know, beautiful, uh, has been a, a heritage craft in, in East Asia for, 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 for many, many, you know, for a long time. But that doesn't use an awful lot of eggshell. Step two that we're now on is, you know what, instead of 2,000 eggshells a square meter, let's use 20,000 eggshells and let's employ so many more people in the cleaning and the processing of that eggshell. Uh, and so, you know, uh, later this year, we're going to be launching a, 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 a tile product essentially using crushed eggshells. So um, that, I guess, in, is one example of, of, of our journey. A tile made out of eggshells. What do you think, Seb? Lara, I have a confession to make. I don't know why I'm using this podcast to tell you this, but I didn't learn how to crack an egg until I was 25 years old. So hearing this from Lei Kuhn, this example of thinking about that waste material was really interesting. And of course, again, you can say, we're talking about this idea of circular-ish, well, it's just a, a waste product. Are we going to make everything out of eggshells? Probably not. But understanding how 
the waste in our system can be utilised in this way tells us something about resources, it tells us something about the wider system. And then when what we're going to discover later in this podcast, I guess, is what happens when you actually try to deploy this? You know, is it economically viable? What does it tell us about how we need to design things from the outset differently? And I guess also this kind of design process could be applied to many other resources that we have and things that we have never thought of. But very interesting to hear that you, you learned that by at the age of 25, Seb. A really interesting provocation. That, and again, like we could, you know, I'm, I think we can be cynical. And again, I think we're going to hear lots from our speakers in the podcast about being a bit cynical about the role of just turning waste into new products. And if we think, go back to those principles, eliminate waste and pollution, keep products and materials in use, regenerate natural systems, all driven by design, the earlier we can be in the process, the better, but still very powerful to think about what does this tell us about the wider system. I agree, Seb. But now let's hear from our other guest, Katie Triggeting, again, the author of Wasted When Trust Becomes Treasures, which celebrates about 30 optimistic and enterprising designers, makers and manufacturers who use waste as their primary resource, offering a rare glimpse into the embryonic world they inhabit. So, If you're using waste in your product, what happens when your product becomes waste? So I think um, there's an awful lot of designers who've sort of cottoned onto the idea of working with waste, um, but I think not all of them have necessarily taken that step further. And that's where I, again, think this idea of circular-ish is fascinating because I think they sort of said, I asked a lot of them, okay, so you're using waste in your product, what happens when your product becomes waste? And a lot of them would sort of say, oh, well, it's not going to because I've designed it to last for ages and ages and ages. You know, it's going to be handed down through generations. And my question is always, okay, and then what? What happens in, say, 500 years' time when your beautiful heirloom table is no longer of use? And that was a question not, that not all of them had fully resolved yet. And so I think, I think it's important that, you know, we don't shame people for not having got there. I don't think this sort of trend for environmental shaming is, is helpful. I think it's brilliant that people are taking those first steps, but I think it's important to acknowledge that there are more steps to go before we reach a circular economy. Is it really okay to use any waste to make products? Is that part of the circular economy? A lot of people have sort of leveled the criticism, well, using waste is not circular because in a circular economy, there is no waste. And you sort of think, okay, but we're not in a circular economy yet. <laughs> you know, So we've got a sort of the two, 200 year legacy of the linear economy. And there's an awful lot of waste in the environment that if we can scoop up and do something valuable with it, that would be a good thing. So firstly, I think it's not always a bad thing. Um, I think there is a danger that you sort of legitimize waste and, and create demand for waste streams. So, you know, plastic came about as a byproduct of, of the oil industry um, and now in some ways is driving the extraction of oil. So I think we've got to be we've got to be careful about that. But I mean there are certainly examples where it's okay to legitimize a waste stream if you're using that waste in a product which can go back into the circular economy and actually a lot of the designers in my book argued that we shouldn't be using this word waste we should be talking about secondary materials or second life materials so I think it can be valuable in that sense um, I think it really depends on the process you know if you're if you're trapping waste products in epoxy resin in a way that they can't be separated afterwards and they can't biodegrade whereas that waste product could have previously biodegraded, then that's not a good idea. Um, whereas if you can use sort of very organic, natural waste materials to replace something that's perhaps oil-based or chemical-based that would off-gas in the home, for example, then you're actually using products that are, are safer and, and more natural. 
Katie just said, Seb, that we shouldn't be using the word waste. Do you have any thoughts to add to what Katie just mentioned? I have two thoughts. I think this is where I think we also need to be careful that we're clear about the intention is to design out waste, not to design from waste. So there are some things that have been designed quite badly that are generally waste. But my second thought is that if you look at nature, the word waste just doesn't exist. Um, but that doesn't mean that things might not appear to be wasted. There's the famous example of the cherry tree blossom. The cherry tree produces way more blossom than it uses that get turned into new cherry trees. But that waste is very valuable to the ecosystem around it, which in turn helps the cherry trees to thrive. So I think it's a very good provocation so long as we're clear that we're designing out waste from the, from the start and not just talking about designing from waste. Exactly. So the priority should be to design out waste from the system, but we also need to acknowledge that there are there is still a lot of waste in our system that we've created. But you also need to take into account other things when designing for a product uh, for the circular economy beyond the materials used and beyond the things we have been mentioned. As Leikun explained, however well-intentioned a product is, it needs to meet the demands of its customers. Let's not kid ourselves, you know. Um, We talk a lot with designers and architects and, of course, also end consumers. The designers and architects talk talk to their, their, own, their, their project um, owners. And a lot of this is driven by aesthetics and function. And that's what these guys are paying for, okay? And if we come and we say, look, this thing is, is not particularly beautiful, but it, it is very virtuous. Please buy the virtue. It isn't going to fly. So, so therefore, the, the, the economic model must be one in which you deliver something that is desirable at the, and at the best, at the most optimized sustainability price that you can. Um, and, and the example that, that I, I often give is, look, you know, we do what we do and we try and make it as, as, circular as we can. But then an architect comes along and says, I need to put this in a public space, or I need to put this on a cruise ship. It needs to meet this flammability standard, or it needs to be a floor that's walked on. And in one stroke, you have put a coating, an additive, a something that, that as Katie says, you know, negates an awful lot of it. But this is the real world we live in. Um, and I'd rather have that opportunity, have that conversation and, and, and carry on on that path than lecture them and say, no, what a terrible thing to do. You know, how could you possibly want this? Seb, Leikun just spoke a little bit about the realities of designing for a circular economy. Do you have any other points to add? I love what Leikun just said. We can get caught up thinking, well, does it just fit the circular economy? And sometimes we can get a couple of things. One is it's got to be look. It's got to look good, perhaps if it's in certain industries. It's also got to be con more convenient. It's got to be a better product or a better service. The other factor of it, of course, is we can't forget the word economy. It's got to be economically viable. It's got to fit in an economic system. So it's really important that we're challenging ourselves to do better and to create better things, um, not just you know creating a criteria about whether it's being looped back into the economy or not. All these aspects, though, could feel maybe a little bit overwhelming for someone that wants to get started. But Katie had some very good points about where you can start. 
But I think actually there's something really important about embarking on that journey because that's how you start to learn that's how you start to understand the biggest bigger systemic implications and I think you know there's a danger that we can just sort of get overwhelmed by this you know there's a reason they call it a wicked problem it's so complicated and so interrelated I think the the worst outcome is we can sort of say oh it's all it's all too complicated I can't you know whereas I would really encourage designers makers craftspeople anybody sort of working even in the broadest creative industries to to start and I think that's how that's how you learn and your first project might turn out not to be the one that's going to to make a difference but you'll learn so much from that first project to invest into a a second project and I think the second thing I'd say is none of us are going to solve this problem on our own this problem is going to be solved by lots and lots and lots of people all chipping away at their little bit of the problem so I think if you know if your problem is not going to save the world on its own that's okay (laughs) So start where you are, test your idea, learn and keep trying. All of us working in the circular economy are somewhere in this journey of designing a new system that, as we have said in this podcast, is based on entirely different principles. Eliminate waste and pollution, keep product and materials in use and regenerate natural systems. And now let's hear some final thoughts from Joels on this topic. If you acknowledge, like we said at the start of the session, that um, everything is designed, then there are many more people who can influence the way that things work than those that just went to design school or have design in their job title. As we said, those people do have uh, a a toolkit of of methods and ways of working which are really helpful, but there are many more people who have agency and and, and the enthusiasm to um, reimagine the world around us along along circular economy lines. So yeah, we are all designers in, in, in some respects. I also think you you kind of you have to do it. I don't think we can all say that we're 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 designers if we're not trying to uh, reorient or or or, or, or change a bit of the world around us. So if everything is designed, then many of us need to acknowledge our roles in designing. This is a fitting last reflection from Joe Isles. What are you taking away from this conversation, Seb? I'm a designer. That's what I'm taking away, Lara. And actually, even just saying that, having the confidence to say that, I think is so important for many of us who design ourselves out of thinking about our role in the economy and our role in designing the things around us. I'm a designer, and probably many of you listening to this podcast are designers in one way or another. Thank you, Seb. That is all for this podcast. If you want to find out more, you can visit the Ellen MacArthur Foundation website. Please do subscribe to our podcast and like, rate and share all these good things. We will see you next time on the Circular Economy Show podcast by the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Thanks for listening to the Ellen MacArthur Foundation Circular Economy podcast. Don't forget to share... Rate and subscribe.